everyone. It's good to see everyone in a festive and fellowshipy type of mode here with uh, uh, with the with the holiday season coming up this week. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. We, I'm praying that you guys have just an absolutely blessed week of connecting with family, connecting with friends, uh, taking some time to uh, just meditate on the real meaning of Christmas. Us, the, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. I love all the trappings of Christmas, the decorations, the trees, the presents, all that good stuff. But uh, I don't ever want to lose hope and lose sight of the true meaning of Christmas. Amen. That God would love us so much that he would wrap himself in flesh and come and be born to eventually be a sacrifice for our sins. And uh, it was part of... Uh, I was reading earlier today when, when uh, John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, was prophesying over him. And he was saying that, that what is to come is God fulfilling, staying true to his covenant. It goes all the way back to Abraham. That God said, hey, I'm remembering my covenant. And so I am redeeming the world. Redeeming the world. And those of us who have faith... And believe in the same manner Abraham did, we are grafted into that wonderful covenant that he said, I, I will be your God and you're going to be my people. So uh, Christmas has got a lot of deep meanings if you want to start uh, going down that path. And uh, it, we, could, we could hang out all day long talking about it. But uh, I know some of you don't want to do that because you got things to do. <laughs> and the Cowboys play at noon, I know. So... <laughs> Uh, but we are going to get into the word of the Lord. There's something about the word of God that is transformative. If you want to change in 2022, it's going to be because you get the word of God in you. You start digesting it. You start ingesting it. You read it. You study it. Uh, with that, I, I want to encourage everyone, and I'll talk about it a little bit more next week and going into this year. Uh, I, I want to challenge and encourage everyone here in this fellowship. Uh, in 2022, uh, do, do a one-year Bible plan. Now, you, you don't, it's not necessarily a way for you to do a deep dive into the Word of God, but it, it does allow the Word of God to get in you so that when you do start doing a deep dive in the Word of God, uh, which all of our Bible studies will be cranking back up at the top of February, uh, we're going to give everyone a, a month just to catch your breath from the Christmas craziness. But all of a sudden what starts happening is you start, when you do study, you go, oh, hey, I remember, I read something about the, and then you start turning and connecting the dots and everything else. And the reason why I want to challenge you for this, God said going into 2022, his word for gathering church was this, I'm growing a church. And by that, it wasn't necessarily numerics. He'll add to our numbers as he sees fit. But he's growing us. He's transforming us. And the way he's going to do that is through his word. And so I, I want to challenge you, if you've not downloaded uh, the YouVersion Bible app or any other Bible app, uh, uh, YouVersion has just got a plethora of one-year Bibles. And uh, we, we've kind of talked about maybe creating a group on there. And, and so maybe if, if we can get that possibly put together. Uh, we'll do that to where you can just join the group and, and collectively we can all, all go through and do a, a one-year Bible plan. I'm telling you, it takes, you can take 20 minutes out of your day. Some of you like to sit there and scroll on your phone before you fall asleep, right? 
and, and you're kind of scrolling either the daily news or, or seeing who ate what that day, right, on social media, <laughs> or whose cat is, did what, or you know, whose dog is you know, new or whatever, uh, why don't you take 20 minutes at some point and scroll through the Word of God? You can read through the whole Bible. Uh, there's a lot of folks that'll, that a lot of folks that'll sit there and say, "Boy, I tell you what, the Bible—that's uh, that's the book. That's the book I live my life by, and it's true. And and I, that's that's the road map of my life. But if you were to ask them a question, have you ever read it? Well, parts of it. How how can we say as believers that we truly? live our life according to a book if we've never read it. It's like picking up, you know, the trilogy of the, the, or all, the, all the books for Narnia. Ooh, this is my favorite series. I love the Narnia books. Have you ever read them? Nope. The movies were pretty good. Well, those are some good books. So, uh, so here in the coming weeks, we're, we're going to, next week we'll, we'll kind of uh, talk to you about knowing your sword a little bit and, and let you know, uh, for, for a lot of us don't understand how the, the Bible is kind of divided up and categorized and, and organized and, uh, you know, it's not necessarily just a chronological book or anything. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll kind of explain some of that for you uh, going into this new year. But it's the Word of God that is transformative. If we're going to change, it's going to be because we get the Word of God in us. Uh, I experienced this Friday. Uh, Friday, I had a chance to see how the Word of God changed the atmosphere of an entire room, uh, assembly of about 200 people. Uh, I was invited to officiate a wedding Friday morning up in Hickory Creek, Texas. Last time I heard of Hickory Creek, it was nothing but a bunch of farmland. Now they got all kind of uh, developments going on up there. It's uh, right in between... Louisville and, and Denton, up around Corinth. And I don't know, has anyone ever heard of this, the, the location? Now, I've, I've been doing weddings for almost 30 years and, and have done weddings at all kinds of venues, from living rooms to grand churches to outdoor venues to the beach, I mean, you name it. But this was probably one of the most stunning places I've ever done a wedding. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of, uh, I, I think it was called the, the Olana the Olana. The facility was called the Olana. I come pulling up in front of this facility, and I'm thinking, where, where am I at? It looks like I was pulling up an episode of Richie Rich. I mean, it was like this incredible French mansion, and, and it looked like a, a miniature Biltmore. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina? It looked like a miniature version of this. Walked in. It was the most incredible thing. Who in the world built this out in the middle of farms? And it turns out the backstory, the wedding uh, coordinator uh, uh, had, had mentioned to me, she said, hey, well, here's the story of this house. It was the home of the man who invented the SIM card. It's like the SIM card that you use in your phone that all of us, you know, that, that has revolutionized communication for us, right? The guy who invented that had this house built for he and his wife. I thought, man, I'm about to do a wedding in a one percenters home. Man, this is some good looking stuff around here. Them one percenters got it going on with, with their houses, right? But, but uh, 
And, and I, I don't know the full story, but apparently at some point he passes away. She's like, I don't really want to be here anymore. And so they tried to sell the house. At the time, it was valued at $40 million. $40 million. And uh, they couldn't sell it. Uh, I think it was back during uh, when the housing bubble kind of burst. And uh, so it went to auction. And somebody picked it up for $17 million. A forty million dollar home, seventeen million, and made it a and invested in it and made it a uh, a wedding facility, and uh, man, it is absolutely gorgeous. So, uh, like I said, I've been doing them for officiating weddings for about thirty years, and and uh, the wedding coordinator. I always love working with wedding coordinators because they're they're fun people, and I say that tongue in cheek, right? So, uh, this one was uh, a bit. Uh, she was young. And very much a go-getter. And uh, I was taking the, ele- the house has an elevator. And I was taking the elevator up to the third floor where, where the wedding was going to take place, right? And she, she, we were in the elevator. She looks, she goes, um, have you ever done one of these before? And I said, yeah, a couple. I, I a couple. And, and so she's, she's bossing me around, letting me know, okay, make sure you do this. Don't forget this. This is, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And, and, uh. Uh, so, anyways, as I was there, it, it turns out it, it's a uh, the, the the two family one family the groom's family was from India, bride's family uh, was from Texas because we are our own nation after all, right? Uh, and and so there was a some some of the family from India were Christian, uh, a lot of the family were Hindi, and they they had flown over from India, and there was apparently some tension from what I was made known. Uh, amongst the families. They, were, they weren't comfortable. There was a little bit of a culture clash and everything else. So I was praying before the wedding. I said, Lord, what, what can we do about this to make this a blessed day? And before, right before I went up to do the wedding, he gave me about four or five scriptures. And he said, I just want you to speak them out. You don't even have to give the reference. Just speak out my word. And I did. I got up and incorporated it into the declaration of that day. And... Uh, you could sense the whole atmosphere just from the word of God settle in. Matter of fact, several of the families that, that from the Hindi side came up and said, man, this, you know, the words of wisdom that you spoke at the top of this ceremony were absolutely remarkable and gave us chills. How'd you think of that? And I said, I didn't think of it. <laughs> so that, that's actually, I just quoted the Bible, that's all. They said, that's in the Bible? I said, yeah. And so we, we, all of a sudden, the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to start sharing the word of God with them and share, sharing the gospel with some of these folk. And so you never know what the word of God is going to do. So if it's powerful enough to do that, and I know I've taken a little extra time to tell you the story, but if it's powerful enough to do that, to bridge a cultural divide, it's powerful enough to transform your life. And so I, I want to challenge you. As, as, as uh, we're coming up on the new year, uh, not, don't make just a resolution. Just make a decision to do it, okay? We, we, people break resolutions all the time, you know? Just make a commitment and a resolution to go through the Word of God. Spend a year going through the entire Word of God. And I guarantee you by the end of 2022, you will be changed for the better. Amen? Thank you, Hal. Hal's got my back. Hey, let's talk about Advent 2021, right in the middle of the Advent season. Uh, we, we want to thank uh, Martin and Betty for uh, lighting the Advent candle today of, of joy. 
And uh, we want to talk about a joyous event. In order to experience the joyous event, it's not necessarily a joyous journey, but it becomes a joyous journey. So what in, you, what in the world are you talking about? Well, I want to talk about the way to Bethlehem, or I'm going to call it by its original name today, the way to Ephratah. Do you know the way to Ephratah? Because there is a journey. There is a journey to Bethlehem, and it isn't always easy, and it isn't always fun, but it is always fruitful and powerful and life-changing, because after all, something that shifted the whole destiny of the earth took place in in Ephratah, in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we read this a few weeks ago, 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Micah prophesies, but you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. It was basically like Hickory Creek, Texas, man. It was, you know, it's, it's just a little few miles south of Jerusalem. Nobody thought much about it. Just a small shepherding town. Said, so you're a small village, the smallest of villages amongst all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Bethlehem has a rich history to be a small town, small little podunk town, as they say, right? After all, King David, the man who was after God's own heart, that was his hometown. The prophet Samuel would have to travel there with an ox and a ruse that God set him up on. <laughs> because Samuel uh, uh, almost basically was committing treason against King Saul to go and anoint another king. But God said, I'm done with Saul. Go to Bethlehem. Go to the house of Jesse. I'm going to let you anoint the next king. He would show up and anoint David as king. Later on, God would tell David, it said, from you, I'm going to establish a throne with one of your descendants and the end of his reign, you'll never see the end of his reign. It will be an eternal reign. He was talking about Christ. He said, it's going to come from you. It all started in Bethlehem. So when Jesus was born, it was a full circle. All of a sudden, Jesus was born right there where his earthly ancestor, King David, was born and was raised. But it goes even further back. When I think of Bethlehem, I can't get the story of Jacob and Rachel out of my mind. And that's where I want us to pick up on today. Genesis chapter 35, starting with verse 16, we're going to read, leaving Bethel. Everyone say Bethel. Jacob, now the Jacob being the grandson of Abraham, right? So this is going way back before Jesus. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephratah. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand or power or authority. And so the title of my message really comes from this text here, verse 19. 
So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephratah, that is Bethlehem. The road to Ephratah, the road to, Be- to, to Bethlehem can be a painful road. Jacob loses the most cherished, beloved person in his life, Rachel. You can imagine the shock. Verse 20 goes on to say that he set up a memorial that remains actually right outside of the gates of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is Palestinian occupied if you ever go over there. But right outside of the gates, there's actually still a shrine to Rachel commemorating her passing to this day. So as he's setting up this rock, this memorial, after having to bury his precious wife, memories were flooding his head. He just thinks back, what a crazy journey he's been on. You know, 20 years prior, he was on the run from his brother. His mom, Rebecca, who was quite the the trickster himself, Jacob's name meant trickster, prankster. He was born along with his twin brother Esau. His, His name means red. He had red hair. Came out, he said he was a hairy baby. Had red hair, and as and and before they could even get him out of the womb, totally, Jacob's hand had grabbed his ankle of his brother, and they they call, oh, Jacob, he's a trickster, and his personality lived up to it, and his mom helped him. His mom helped him steal the birthright that belonged to Esau, his older brother, and when Esau found out. He became so mad, so angry, he said he was going to kill Jacob. So Jacob took off on the run. His mom said, look, I want you to go to uh, Padan Aram, my, my hometown. I want you to go find my brother, Laban, and go hang out there, hide out there till Esau calms down. Jacob's on the run. He's a, he's a wanted man. He's on the run 20 years prior, and he winds up stumbling on a place for the night, lays his head down on a rock in the middle of the desert. And he has a vision of God with angels coming up and down from a ladder. And he says, man, this, is, this has got to be Bethel. He named the place Bethel, the house of God, is what it means. He says, surely God lives in this spot. You know, I, I, put, I, I use this rock for my pillow. It's got to be God's stepping stone here. He, he goes on to his uncle Laban's house. Tells him what went down. Laban said, don't you worry about it. We'll hide you out here, man. Esau, he's going to give him, give him some time. He'll, he'll get over that. Maybe, maybe you can get out there. Go back, go back to your, your father's house before he dies. What he doesn't realize is his name is Trickster, but he gets it honest. His mom was quite the prankster as well. So was his uncle Laban. Laban said, I want you to hang out. I want you to work for me a little bit. And all of a sudden, somebody catches his eye. Laban's daughter, Rachel, comes out. Rachel means you, E-W-E, or a female lamb. She was as, as gentle as a lamb. And it caught Jacob's eye. And he says, man, who is that? And he said, oh, you're interested? That's my daughter. So what do I have to do to marry her? He said, I'll tell you what, I'll work you a deal. 
worked for me for seven years. And you, then you can marry her. Seven years. Seven years. Man, most, most of us, if the woman didn't say yes when you first asked her out, we were moving on, weren't we? Seven years he worked for Rachel. The Bible said those seven years seemed like it just passed quickly. Seemed like it just it was a few days because he loved Rachel so much. Now, Rachel had an older sister named Leah. Interestingly enough, Leah's name, now the Bible says she was tender-eyed. That's the, the King James word. She was tender-eyed. The, the name Leah means weary, tired. And that poor baby was born. <laughs> and they took one look at whatever those eyes were doing and said, you one tired baby. <laughs> Could you imagine? Whew, I'm going to name you. you know, Rachel was, oh, look, she's as pretty as a little lamb. Leah was born and they said, oh, man. Whew. She looks tired. A little tender eyes. She had some droopy eyes going on. I call it walleye. Y'all know what walleye is, right? When she's talking, she's talking to you, but one eye is looking at the wall, right? That's walleye. So they, the time came, seven years passed. He finally gets to go marry Rachel. A whole week, man, they would celebrate. The marriage, the wedding was a week back in those days. They'd party the whole week and celebrate the whole week. And at the conclusion of the week, you would go and consummate the marriage finally. And so finally, Jacob, after seven years, gets to go, goes to his tent to finally be married to Rachel. And then he wakes up the next morning and it's old tired eyes, Leah. He'd been pranked. He'd been tricked. All I know is that had to be one crazy reception to get that kind of tricked, right? Y'all all right? Everyone still here? You thought you married Shania Twain and you wake up next to Mark Twain. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's a crazy reception. So he goes to Laban and says, what have you done? He goes, oh, come on, man. You understand. You know this. Our custom is not to marry our younger daughter before our older daughter. Okay? So look. And, you know, look, she, we named her tired for a reason, right? I mean, look at her. She just... So look, she's your wife now. He said, but you can still marry Rachel. Here, you can have Rachel now. But you're going to have to work another seven years for her. So he got 14 years out of Jacob. But he loved Rachel that much. He loved her. He loved her. Now, as time would go on, you know, Leah lived up to her name. Because she gave... She gave Jacob, seven children. Seven children, you're going to be named Leah. You're going to be named Tired. Right? Six sons, one daughter. Rachel had, had not had children. She cried out to God. The Lord gave her Joseph, the most beloved son of Jacob. We know the whole story of Joseph and the incredible destiny that he would have. Well, here she is again. What a crazy journey he's been on. He's finally heading home. Hopefully, Esau's not going to kill him. Hopefully, his father will forgive him. Hopefully, he can see his mama again. 
Hopefully everything's going to be all right. God's blessed him. He's got these two wives. He's got all these kids. He's got servants. He's got livestock. God would eventually wrestle with him. He, he wasn't quite the man of faith that his grandfather Abraham was. And not even as much as Isaac. He wrestled with God. And we, we go through that journey ourselves, don't we? We wrestle with God. That's why the New Testament calls it the fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Because faith is a fight. It's not easy to believe when everything else is trying to tell you not to. And yet here he is wrestling with God in the middle of the desert. And he would walk out of that octagon with a name change and a limp. God changed his name from Jacob, trickster, changed it to Israel. It means God wrestler. (laughs) One who contends with God. Think about it. Sometimes we feel guilty because we argue with God. Anyone, anyone here argue with God? You know? And then, we've, and then we want to condemn ourselves. Well, we're only acting like one of our great, 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 great grandpappies <laughs> that we've engrafted into his family, right? He contended with God. He argued with him. He fussed with him. He would eventually do the right thing. It was just a little bit more of a process to get to his faith, right? What a crazy journey. God wrestles with him. And then he brings him back to the place where he slept 20 years prior and had the great vision. Bethel. And he, and he appeared to Jacob again and reminded him, your name is now Israel. I'm going to bless you. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold true to my covenant that I gave your grandfather. And then this time, Jacob had a different name. He's, he called it El Bethel, the God of the house of God. Now, all of a sudden, he encountered God. It wasn't just a vision. He just didn't see something about God, but he personally encountered him. We've gone through that ourselves at times. We start out learning about God, and then we have a real encounter. And that encounter leads us on a faith journey that's going to send us straight into Bethlehem, straight into Ephratah. Because the Bible says here that he told him, leave the house of God and head to Bethlehem, Ephratah. The word Ephratah means fruitful. Sometimes to start experiencing true fruit in your life and the fruit of the Spirit you got to get out of the church mindset. you got to get out of the house of God. See, we're plagued in the West with this mindset of, I'm, I'm doing the right thing, right? I showed up to church on Sunday. I can check the box. Look at that. God's happy with me. I showed up at church so God could be happy with me. God, do you realize God's already happy? He don't need you to show up here for him to be happy. He's already happy. He ain't never been happier. I need to be here because I need your fellowship and I need your encouragement and I need to connect with the rest of the body of Christ. But still here is not where I experience the most of God. This is not, being a disciple is not attending church. 
We were, we were commanded to make disciples of all people. That doesn't mean get them enrolled in church, get them coming to Sunday school, get them paying their tithe. A true, deci- a true disciple starts a lifelong process to try to become like their teacher, their master. A rabbi would choose his disciple and say, hey, I think you got what it takes to be like me, to learn what I teach. And it would be a lifelong journey. That's what Jesus did with all of us. Hey, be my disciples. You got what it takes to be just like me. But there's a process because we experienced Christ in Bethlehem. Well, I thought we experienced Christ at church, at the house of God. You experienced Christ at a place of fruitfulness, Ephratah. You experienced Christ in Bethlehem. The name Bethlehem in Hebrew means the house of bread. What's important? What's so important about that? Jesus said this. John 6, 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Christ is the bread of life. Isn't it incredible that the place that God chose to give birth to the bread of life would already be called the house of bread. Pretty cool, huh? Where do you experience Christ? At Bethel? No. Well, I experience Christ at the house of God. No, no, you don't. No, get on the journey. You got to go to a place called the house of bread. Where's the house of bread? Well, what do you do with bread? Do you just sit it on the table and look at it for a while? You eat it. You got to get it inside of you. The word of God, you got to get it inside. If you're going to experience Christ, if you're going to experience Bethlehem, the house of bread, guess who becomes the house of bread? All you folk, me. Why? Because we get the word of God in us and the bread of life manifests itself. You get to become the body of Christ. Now, what's really cool is to the Persians that were living in that, that day, they used the term Bethlehem as well. In Arabic, you know what Bethlehem means? House of flesh. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word, or Christ, became flesh, human incarnate and tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while among us, And we actually saw his glory, his honor, his majesty, such glory as an only begotten son receives from his father, full of grace, favor, loving kindness, and truth. The word wants to become flesh. It did so in the natural via Jesus. The word is continuing to want to become flesh when you begin to digest and ingest and eat up the word, when you begin to dive into his word and you start allowing it to manifest in your life where you start living out the word of God, 
the word once again becomes flesh in us. Christ in us. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Yet I'm alive. But it's not me. It's Christ living within me. Paul was talking about that. When we allow Jesus to reanimate us in our life, the word becomes flesh once again. That's why I want us all to dive into the word next year. Because I want us to have more Jesus. I want us to experience Bethlehem. But in order to get to Bethlehem, Something happened. Jacob had to leave the house of God, but to encounter the house of bread or the house of flesh, Rachel died and was buried on the way to Bethlehem, on the way to fruitfulness. On the way to the house of bread, on the way to the place of fruitfulness, the most cherished, beloved thing in his life passed away. It's, it's the same journey we are on because when you make Christ your Lord, not just your Savior, everybody wants to be saved, but when you make him your Lord, when you start submitting to him, all of a sudden, things in your life that seem so important, things in your life that you just cherished, things in your life that you thought you couldn't live without, tend to start fading away. And there'll come a time in your life where you're going to have to make a decision. Do I let my Rachel, do I let that thing that, that has just, and it isn't necessarily a horrible thing. It could be a dream. It could be plans. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. It could be something that has been a blessing. Rachel had been an absolute blessing in Jacob's life. So much so that he worked 14 years, 14 years. See, that's the problem. Men used to have to prove their, their love to their women. You know, they'd go to war. They'd have a duel. They'd shoot somebody <laughs> just to prove that they love them. Nowadays, you know, young women just seem to want to throw themselves. It's like, sweetie, make them work for you. You know? 14 years, he adored Rachel, but he had to let her die and be buried on the road to the house of bread, on the road to fruitfulness. And it's hard. Some of you have been wondering, why has tragedy struck? Why has challenges come up the last few years? Why have I had to face this and that? It's because some of you have been on a journey and you haven't even known it. God's trying to get you out of a church mindset, a mindset of the house of God, because Jacob, while there was incredible things that he experienced at Bethel, he wasn't going to experience bread and the word becoming flesh until he got to Bethlehem. And in doing so, you got to let go of some of the most important things in your life and die out to yourself and let them be buried because what you're going to gain is so much more. Jesus said, those who lose their life will gain it. But if you fight and try to protect your life, you'll lose it. What a crazy journey of faith we all get to walk. But out of it, something was birthed. Now, Rachel in her, you know, she was going to have another child, her second child. 
And the nurse said, hey, don't worry, you're, you're having a son. You're having a son. And she named him in her dying breath, Benoni, son of my sorrow. I don't know how long it took Jacob or Israel to get around to changing his name, the name of this child. But at some point, he said, this is, I'm not, what is birthing out of this tragedy is not going to bring me sorrow. It is not going to be a constant morbid reminder of loss. But what God wants to birth in the time of loss is a Benjamin in your life. Son of my right hand, my strength, power, authority. What God wants to give you on the road to Bethlehem, on the road to the house of flesh, house of bread, fruitfulness, a place where you can know Christ like never before, is so much authority and power. But sometimes you experience what you interpret as loss. Let's all stand. So don't, don't get discouraged on the way to Ephratah this, this Christmas. If you, if you feel like, man, I, this has been a difficult Christmas because of the things I've had to go through the last few years. Be encouraged. Because where he's taken you is where the word became flesh. And that sweet baby wrapped in swaddling clothes is actually a life-changing savior and ruler full of transformative power, grace, mercy, love, and provision, all from faith in him. Let's all bow our heads. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, not just Savior, but if you have never actually just said, Lord, I give you the reins, I give you control, you become boss, I want to invite you and encourage you to do so today. And you can pray it however you want to pray it. But if you've not made that commitment, that's one of the greatest Christmas presents you can give yourself. Is to say, Jesus, don't just save me of my sins. But be Lord, be boss, be king, be ruler. I give myself. put peace in your heart he'll put a spirit inside of you his Holy Spirit and he'll walk with you all the days of your life and direct you even the things that you've been weak the areas of your life you've been weak where you're weak his spirit will become strong for you so I invite you to do that today Father everyone under the sound of my voice I pray oh, just a blessing over them Encourage them on the road to Ephratah. Encourage them, even in the times of trial and the times of loss. Sometimes this time of year can bring, bring up sad memories, difficult memories. But encourage everyone today, Lord, because you do have a path for us that leads to bread, that leads to your word incarnate in flesh, and it leads to great fruitfulness. We just love you. We give ourselves over to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for any, we're going to sing one more song together as a family, but if you have any prayer needs, I want to invite you over. I'll hang out over in the corner. Come over and give me a chance to pray with you, or you don't even have to come get me. I guarantee you, if you'll grab anybody sitting near you and say, hey, pray for me, 
Someone's going to be honored to pray with you today. Amen. Let's worship him one more time. Amen.